Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Saltivation Podcast. Today, we are joined by Maria Tringali, who is in new business sales at Avalara, focusing on cert capture and API integrations. We want to speak with Maria regarding the benefits of technology and what the needs for businesses are. Maria, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Meredith. I'm thrilled to be here with you and Judy today. (laughs) And as always, Miss Judy Vordren of Saltivation. Hello, Hello. Judy. Hello. All right, Maria, you are with Avalara and you've been there for a while now, but you didn't start your career there or certainly with a sales tech software company. So how did you get there? How did I get here? So I did spend many years in sales and marketing in the hospitality business and opted to move out of hospitality after many years and into software. I live in Seattle, so there's a lot of technology here. And so technology sales just seemed to make sense. I started out in uh, working with a company that automates a very manual process. And so the next logical thing was a bigger company and Avalara was just a perfect fit. Awesome. But how does hospitality segue to software? <laughs> Funny you should ask. So <laughs> I mean, it does. There aren't some issues that relate. Yeah. But... I mean, it really, though, if you understand sales and the sales process and you understand, you know, using an Excel spreadsheet or something manual and automating it, the only thing I really had to learn was sales tax, which I know you spent a million years in, Judy. But yeah, I, did, I definitely had to learn the sales tax language. I, I will admit that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then was there much of that in the hospitality industry pre? No. Okay. So really, what were you doing in the hospitality sales space? So- uh, sales and marketing. So group sales. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, events conferences, and things like that. Conventions, group okay. rates, uh, corporate rates, everything, okay. all the revenue coming in basically. Okay. Because I was thinking maybe you were doing like, you know, fixtures and all that procurement and all that stuff, right? Which would have No, no. I was tech. on the sales side. Yeah. Not on the catering side, not in the food side, but on okay. the definitely the sales, closing the conference, the deal, writing the contracts, that sort of thing. But you would have had issues on the conferences with like exempt entities holding their galas. And, oh, we had those for sure. Right? Yeah, so there's yeah. some issues there when it comes to sales tax. Like, do they get the benefit of the exemption on the buy of the gala space? Or, Absolutely. Anyway. And does the salesperson need to collect that certificate? That's right. right. <laughs> so see, so there's a little bit of it, even mm-hmm. in any day use. <laughs> yeah. So then Maria, as a salesperson, you listen for a living and you hear a lot of stories. So what problems do you commonly see that businesses struggle with when it comes to technology? When it comes to technology, meaning I would say a lot, but probably what comes to mind and related to our conversation today is people tend to be afraid to move their manual process into technology because they might lose control. They might find out they were doing something wrong and they don't want to deal with that. But in a lot of cases, people also feel like they've kludged this one little scenario. And how are we going to kludge this one little scenario when we have software that automates everything? And it's sort of a not a cart before the horse, but it, that's a minor problem in the grand scheme of compliance. So that, those are right. probably the three things I hear. Right, they feel like, like they can't solve everything. At the, at, they're like, I can't solve this one thing. I'm going to give up the so whole thing. So I'm not going to automate the rest of my business. And huh. Yeah, exactly. I hear a okay. lot of that. Yeah. So then how do you get people over that hump? 
Or are there some where you're just like, I, I got to give up on you because you're just not ready or talk to someone. That's funny. Yeah, that does like, actually happen. That That's funny. Yeah, sometimes people just give up. Like they're just not willing to take that leap. Judy, you probably know this. They're just not willing to take that leap into automating their business. But as far as how we do it, I usually do it. Judy, I imagine you do the same thing. We try to take a couple steps back and go, you know, we're talking about your compliance here. We're talking about your business. We're talking about, and, and in our world, I think the conversation today is around the value of those exemption certificates and what each one means to your business. One of the very first questions I ask everybody I talk to is what percentage of your business is exempt? I just put that right out there and I keep reminding them the entire conversation. But this is 75% of your business, right? It's it's a heavy, it's a, it's a big piece of risk for your your business. So you really, I guess, Meredith, have to take a step back and start talking about overall compliance. A lot of things, another thing that we get is people only want to automate part. They don't want to automate everything. They only want help with this one little thing that's bugging them. And so it's our job as salespeople and consultants and also CPAs to say, but we need to look at the whole umbrella here. We need to look at where that one little thing you think you're struggling with fits into the bigger picture. And people that don't get the bigger picture and the bigger risk, you're probably right, probably aren't going to automate the whole thing. They'll just get a tax rate document or you know, they'll just keep looking on the Avalair website for tax rates and... Not right. So then who typically in within organizations are you talking to to try to get the information and to, like are you do they kind of default you to like oh here's talk to our you know invoicing person our revenue manager who's kind of like well because they would be the ones putting tax on an invoice right but it doesn't really start there right like going back to the you know hospitality conversation of like the salesperson's the one getting the exemption certificate, potentially, you know, full circle people, right? You know, is getting the certificate because they're having those face-to-face conversations. So who do you find that you're having a lot of these conversations with? And do you have to kind of bounce between multiple people within the organization to get the right answers or to get to the right people to get the right answers or to be able to really help problem solve? That's a really good question. I would say in a lot of cases, you do need to bounce around or you need to have everybody's buy-in at the end of the day. So the conversation might have started from an e-commerce manager who's adding a shopping cart and needs to now add tax rates. And then that stems back to, oh, we have this whole B2B side of our business as well. If we're automating this, we got to automate the B2B side as well. Might start there. It might start with a CFO who's aware of risk. Might start with an accounting manager. When it comes to certificates though, I think that one of the key people tends to be the credit manager because the credit manager Mm -hmm. is usually the one that is creating new B2B accounts and is also responsible for physically touching those certificates and doesn't know what they look like. So even if we have the CFO or the e-commerce person on the phone, one of the things that I train salespeople, one of the things that's tough to do, but we always try to do it is get everyone that touches compliance across the organization at some point on the phone. And that's usually for a demo or at least a group conversation 
conversation because there are a lot of people, Meredith, that touch compliance in some way. You've got the the IT guy running a custom shopping cart who had to get tax rates in there. You've got the ERP person, you know, you had a person in charge of the ERP and then you have the controller and then you have the people signing up and then you have the people doing the darn credits and rebills on invoices when you didn't get the certificate right. So yeah, there's a lot of people and sometimes it's tough. I, I will say sometimes it's tough to get everyone on the same page, but the most successful projects are when everybody is on the same page or at least listening, at least willing to listen. Right. Cause you've got to get buy-in. Right. So, you know, if one person's making a decision regarding like a technology, a sales tax outsourcing system, you know, that's going to be tied to cert capture or whatnot, you know, or certificate management system, you know, it only works and the value is only there if the people who are going to use it and they're going to use it effectively and correctly and are willing to implement it or problem solve or issue spot. So it's not like it's just one person in charge of everything unless, you know, you're dealing with a sole proprietor and, you know, poor things doing everything from start to finish, but... There, there are those, yeah. The, but, the other thing know. is when you bring those other people in, so if you bring a credit manager in on a phone call with a CFO or even with the e-commerce folks or the IT folks, they didn't even realize how this poor person was struggling to collect these things, to do credits and rebills, to talk with customers who want their order now and they don't know what paperwork to submit. Those other folks often didn't even know what was going on in that poor credit department's world. So bringing them together also brings out issues that others weren't necessarily aware of being a challenge. We have in the B2B world, we have accepted a lot of manual processes for our biggest customers. Really, we have, and it's kind of silly. You know, yeah. we, these are our biggest customers and we've accepted just all this mess. We make them jump through hoops to do business with us, yet they're our biggest customers. And then yeah. well, there is a culture, I think, around certificates. If you say it's 75% or 90% of your business, I find they don't care. They don't want to do anything about it. They're like, it's 90% of my business. I don't have any risk. I'm like, you understand that the document or the lack thereof is the risk, actually. But you think, well, I don't collect any tax because... 90% of my customers are resale, wholesale, whatever. Oh and it's gosh. like, right? But that I is, that. A, I feel like that is a huge culture in our nation. Like, well, I got some kind of cert. Half the time you find the certs aren't even accurate. They're not even for the right state, you know? So that's, I find that to yeah. be a really frightening issue, actually. And the customer has been set up is exempt in the system for everything, forever, forever and, and ever. ever. Right. For, yeah, yeah, forever and ever. That's so true. I get I get that a lot. I tried to use the example. I don't know if you use this one, Judy, but I tried to use the example of even if I don't owe anything to the federal government at the end of the year, even if, weirdly, I actually owe zero, right? I still have to go through the whole process of everything I did during the year and fill out all the forms. I own mm -hmm. a house, I have a child, you know, I have to fill out all the forms still and report my income and what was already paid to you. I still have to go through the process, but it, somehow people think that it's not that important. My other favorite one is, well, there's zero dollar returns. They don't take me yep. any time. What do you think you do? You just put a, leave a form blank and put a zero at the bottom? Mm -hmm. No, you still have to report all your income. And now with marketplaces, you have to report what the marketplace paid on your, I mean, it's just, it's a silly, it's a silly answer. And sometimes I have to you know, try just kind of pause a second and think of how to work with someone who thinks that 
I don't have any risk. Actually, you have more risk than everybody right. else. Yeah, because you're, you're substantiating you. a negative. It's yeah. very difficult to prove a negative. Yeah, exemptions are narrowly construed against taxpayers by law. So that's actually a higher burden than a tax collection. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I wish everyone saw it our way, Judy. I, swear. I know, but they don't. <laughs> well, and what's, what's interesting too is it's it's really hard to find good information about exempt entities or what's exempt, what's not, There's what's that. what's the right form. You know, we subscribe to a software to help us facilitate that. Which you bought. Which we, we yeah. bought it. They just bought them. Um, oh, t- you're talking about TTR? <laughs> yeah. 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 They have a great research. Yeah. They have a fantastic research uh, product. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Service. It's amazing. So Truthfully, we've yeah. we've spent, you know, we've been engaged by some clients to just validate their certificates because they have a lot of inflow, outflow, you know, they deal with schools and, you know, people within PTAs and they're volunteers, right? And they're like, here's what we got. And it's like, well, thanks. But this is literally a letter from this from the PTA Society of Georgia that says, Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being a member. And it's like, well. That's that's not good enough. It's a lot of money, and Georgia has weird rules. But even reading the law, you don't get good answers. And I've even reached out to the department in some instances of places, and they're like, I don't know. That's really weird. We changed our form and specific... <laughs> Well, what's interesting, it's like on some of the exemption certificates, they literally took out one word... And so it's like, okay, well, does that mean it's not in your law anymore? Why would you specifically remove this word? And they're just like, Ooh. so it's like, how how do you manage that without a tax background? Just as like the intake, it's it's yeah. It's well, they ridiculous. don't. That's the right. whole problem. Is they really don't and really don't. The other thing that I really struggle with. It, well, Judy mentioned this already, but you know, people collect something once, and they just collected a you know one dimensional. And they t- just just did Friday. I had this guy, pretty sharp guy, seemed to be. He goes, "Well, we have them all electronically because he scanned a copy into." a, what do you call it, a share drive, you know, whatever they collected it 13 years ago. I'm like, dude, that's not electronic. That's an image. That's an image of something that you collected. And this guy's super sharp. Like these, these guys are really savvy business owners, but it's, I, I don't know. It's interesting, Meredith. I don't know how people, I think they just don't, they just, it's so complex that they just don't do it. It's, it's, yeah. You know how you get, you know, in our personalizer, you get, you get to a point where you're like, oh, can't even, can't even conceptualize that. So I'm just going to stop. Right. So I think they just don't even, don't even do it and just take the risk. And you know, there are a lot of people who will just take the risk. Like I'll, I'll just take the risk if I get audited. It's a very interesting world. Yes. Well, so then what is automating your exemption certificates? Because it is so hard. There are so many rules and there are so different between all of the states. So how do you, how do you streamline that? How do you automate that? How do you get that into a software to help you at least be better than you were? Well, the best thing is, I mean, the hardest thing you've already mentioned is knowing what to complete. Most people, that credit manager we were just talking about doesn't know what they're looking at. And you can't say you're going to hire, I always throw my niece, Chloe, under the bus. You can't say you're going to hire my niece, Chloe, who's 18, goes to college in Greeley, ladies. 
Um, you can't ah! hire, yeah, you can't hire Chloe to go collect all these because she wouldn't know what she's looking at. And that's the biggest challenge. So when you automate the automation systems like Avalara's have a portal, the good ones have a portal that will literally direct the buyer, the purchaser to a form to be filled out. So they, the provider, make much fewer mistakes. They don't send in their business license instead of their sales tax exemption certificate because the portal is literally directing them towards what to send. I'm in Washington and I need resale. And so it literally serves up the certificate. So it allows that it, what I always say is it pushes the responsibility from the seller, from that poor credit manager person to the buyer to provide me with the right documentation. So when it comes in that way, you're, you're much more. Um, and then you have uh, the right form, the right information, the right attestation statements, the right signatory, mm -hmm. and the reasoning Everything. is all incorporated in that. And it's searchable. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, and it's searchable, and it applies at the time of sale. Searchable. Yeah. It all depends no, on how you title actually, it. That's not electronic. I don't know why we think. Anyway, don't get me started on that subject, Judy. I don't know why we think an image is an electronic document. It is. Well, because is people so used to have them in giant file folders on their desk. Right. Like, so now that I scanned it in, it's electronic. It's exactly. a picture. It's a photo. Yeah. When it, one guy I was talking to the other day, I was like, oh, that means someone could literally just send in a picture of their dog. That's what he said. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And my, my niece, Chloe, wouldn't even question it. She'd just scan it in and file it, right? Oh, that must be their certificate in Alabama. I don't know. So, right. yeah. So you have to you, you have to move. I think the biggest thing, Meredith, that I see is you need to move from paper to digital or paper to pixels. Those images and that paper that you stick in the folder, it, that doesn't... I don't know why. Judy, you tell me. Why are those things still on paper? We've made most everything else. I can buy a house now digitally, right? I don't have to go sign all those forms anymore. You know, I sell software digitally. There's no paper. Why are those certificates still on paper? And especially with COVID, right? With all of us working remote, where are those pieces of paper now? Who's got them if someone's actually sending them in? Where are they? But if it ain't broke, why fix it? That's the view. I really do believe that. There's a, we have it. And then also I find that a lot of businesses have limited resources. They don't have a sales tax department. So the person who's in charge of AP, AR, and closing the books, i.e. the controller, has a full-time job doing just that. Now you leap on this other stuff. And then how many people are in accounting have to be HR? So I just think they have to wear a lot of hats. And then the tax hat is like the last hat they want to well, but it's interesting though, because then wouldn't, I mean, that tax burden is there, whether you want to accept it or not, you know, you'll accept it when you get a giant jeopardy assessment for a hundred grand, right? right? But wouldn't automating provide one less, like give that person kind of one less thing to do? Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you can send them a link. So if I'm setting up, so just for a basic example, in the, the example Judy is talking about, you know, you've got someone who's a one-armed paper hanger. Do people still say that? You know, who's doing wearing multiple hats. <laughs> are we getting to that age, Judy, where we say I, things are like... I think it might be old. Well, thong was an old one too. That was quite a few years ago when thongs was something I wore on my feet. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're a nutcase. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So but, paper uh, hanger, I don't even think we use paper paper clips, much less paper well, hanger. Or wallpaper, right? you know, our parents would, well, our house was wallpapered everywhere. <laughs> right. Okay, anyway, we digress. But uh, <laughs> what were we just talking about? 
Uh, so that person who has to wear multiple hats can send a link. They instead of asking, looking, receiving, filing, all they have to do is literally send a link. And in most cases, just push a button, send a request. It sends a request and it comes back. But so there's also issues with that. I find because when we've done it, we've done a lot of search capture campaigns, which have gone great. Once we get buy-in, there's this fear with the sales team. The county's like, we got to get this, but sales might not want to do it to the customer. So there's this touchy feely. Silly. Isn't it funny? It's it's silly. Yeah. It is I, I think fascinating. You, yeah, Meredith, I think you mentioned that slow earlier before uh, about slowing down the, the sales cycle. Yeah, you can. I mean, the advantage, one of the advantages of surcapture duty, and it is buy-in, but a salesperson can send that same link. There is a public oh, link to Cert Express. Absolutely. So any, any customer, Avalara customer can just ask their salespeople, hey, if I used to, so my last software job, I was working with universities and colleges, all exempt, right? So I could have, as part of my sales process, when they were about to sign a contract, I easily could have sent them a link and said, send this back with your contract if you're yep. exempt. It's the buy-in that that's the problem. Yes, it would not yes. have added a lot of work for me as a salesperson, but the company had to ask me to right. do it. You know, the company up here had to buy in and yes. tell us salespeople to do that. And that's, I think, where some of the struggle is. No, that's what I was saying. Like my best, most successful sales tax integration was where the CFO told sales, if you don't get the certificate, your commission will be lowered by the amount of this Certain. I mean, Many talks so in our business. I'm just saying. So I thought, wow, that was a really great tool. But you, I find some people at that at the CFO level are not don't want to do that. They don't want to upset their sales team. They need their sales team. They don't. You know, they realize they're whining, complaining, whatever. But I, what I want to get the sales people to realize is it's all money to the business which is all money to share, to make the business better, to more successful. So if we all buy in and work together, as we know the customers, and I do think the Wayfair conversation does make that conversation a little better than it used to be. Because there's a little Definitely. bit of shame, I think, with people said, oh, I should have taxed it correctly, which is so silly. Like, why would they think that shame that they they should understand all this? But there yeah. is a little bit of that. And I'm like, there's no shame in not understanding this. Nobody no. really understands it. Even the biggest companies of this nation don't understand it because yeah. they're always it's, doing it's something true. different. That's what so. Meredith said. Yeah, there's so many different laws. And then when you're talking exempt, right? People don't even know if they're if they fit the economic nexus laws now. You're right. But it has definitely open the eyes of a lot of people that these certificates are way more value than they, valuable than they ever thought they would be yep. in the past. And they are paying a little bit more attention. Um, but there's still a lot of companies at risk. And just going back to Judy, when you and I met years ago, when I was working on the Sage team, it was like pulling teeth to get people to even think about compliance. If you're running Sage 100 and you're a you know mom and pop manufacturer, regional manufacturer or something, they didn't want to talk about tax compliance. You remember our conversations oh, back then. No. So yeah, Wayfair has definitely, on all the laws, marketplace facilitator laws as well, has definitely yeah. brought that. It's been um, good for the conversation yeah. nationally and and because yeah. ra- ra- I came to the conclusion that like some of the biggest taxpayers in the nation bear the brunt of the small business that isn't complying because it is a lot for them to, they perceive it's a lot more to do than they really have to do. And then they didn't do it. So now it's like, oh, how do I start? Right. But now it's come a long way to make it easier and more tactile and you can do it, uh, you know, on the fly on the web. So, and, and also, integrate to simpler it, it systems. Back to the same conversation we've always had is it's just like payroll. Who does their own payroll? It's too risky. Nobody does. Even the smallest of companies use a payroll 
resource of some sort, right? No one sits there and does their own payroll. It's it's the same thing with sales tax now. It has gotten down to, the requirements have gotten down to the smallest of businesses need to automate this. Yeah. Well, yeah. And as you know, we've, we've helped a lot of clients, you know, over the years become compliant and kind of get them to a point, you know, we fixed their past, we helped transition. We have some clients that for whatever reason, still kind of do some sales tax manually. And it's like, it's just, it's impossible. Like the only reason we can really help affect, that's not true. You know, it's a lot easier for us and more cost efficient for our clients to help effectively is because they've, they've automated and they've, they've embraced technology in whatever capacity. And we have the reports that says, okay, here are all the random, you know, thousand jurisdictions that you need to put 14 cents in Texas and, you know, we do that because of technology. Right. You can do that because of technology. Exactly. Right. Otherwise, like if you were going to pay me to do it by hand <laughs> at like a rate per hour, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to charge you 20 grand to put this silly little number, like 14 cents in the right bucket because I have to look it up and it's broken out into 47 different jur- jurisdictions that are all, you know, funnily named from a northerner like me. You know, how do you really reconcile old processes and new technology? What does that look like? Other than just like sending a link and, you know, not just scanning because that's not, that's still paper. It's kind of funny. I actually have conversations. Sometimes you have to have kind of blank conversations with people like, yeah, this is automation. So you're not going to be able to do everything exactly, exactly as you did before, because by definition, that's automation, right? So let's just, let's just admit that first. (laughs) Let's start there. We are talking about automating a process, which makes it easier overall. Are there a couple of things that you do manually because you do this one little thing, are those maybe not going to be able to fit into this? Or maybe you still have some manual intervention in your process for these of your top customers or, or whatever. You can work those in. I don't think, I think that there might be a misconception that automation forces you to do things you don't want to do. I like to tell people that Avalara software is built to make you 100% compliant. That doesn't mean you have to do all of it. Mm-hmm. If you want to still manually mark a customer exempt because it's Target and you can't get their certificate for whatever reason, and you want to take the risk of not having Target's exemption certificate, this, the automation is not going to restrict you from doing that. In some cases with the SST program, it will. You know, everything is in general. But in general, automation is not going to be so strict that you won't be able to also leverage some of your favorite or whatever workarounds or or unique situations that you need to. I think that's a misconception. People think it's an all or nothing thing. You still can hand intervene in an invoice. You still can hand intervene in the tax calculation if you want to. You know, in your you know there's there's things you can still do. It's not so strict that you won't be able to run your business like you traditionally have. And Judy, I don't know if you've heard that too, but I think that's what people think. Well, I think there's just a lot of fear about anything new, right? I just think well, there's that. Was- you know, and then also, I think a lot of people just don't even realize what they're doing. They're not robotic, but just sort of just da, 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 da. that's what I do. I it's been really think whether it's for right so or not. long that it's Correct. Just, and now you're asking you know, me to like go, you know, and that's when you end up finding out like process could be better. And then that's that's the kickback to like rethink re- and then go forward. And that's that's where the push pull lies of like time, ability, all that. So you know, speaking of what you were mentioning, Sage customers with a lot of manufacturers and all that. So do, I mean, how did you get? 
success with them to buy in to the need for the certificate project or what product or was that not part of what you needed to do at that time? You mean back before Wayfair or post Wayfair? Well, yeah, probably. Because it's different. Because the answer is different, right? Yeah. So in pre-Wayfair, if people were very regional, and here's Mm -hmm. what I would say for both actually. When you when your business expands outside of your home state, or maybe mm-hmm. you're in a tri-state area that you're pretty familiar with, or maybe you're in Denver and Arvada, you know, if you're if, when you kind of get out of your comfort zone, that's when you really need to think about automation because that's mm-hmm. when you're this tax rates, Meredith, that you're not familiar with, and then that's right. when you have to start collecting certificates that you're not familiar with, or maybe you expanded your business into a different product, and that goes to a different. Maybe it goes to the government marketplace, and you're not used to those certificates. So my, that's the leverage I always took. Did something happen in your business to change? Sure, and I still say if I'm only in Illinois, if I have a buyer a business that's only in Illinois and they're only resale, all they have to worry about is the Illinois. Illinois resale certificate, all right, they might be able to manage those themselves because they know what it is. They're familiar with it and they know the laws in Illinois. But once they start selling in Ohio and Kentucky and, you know, all the states in Missouri, all the states in that area, and they they have more risk because they don't know what they're looking at in an out-of-state area. I think the same thing applies, you know, and Economic Nexus just compounded that. I do webinars, you and I both do webinars all the time. And one of the poll questions that I ask when I have businesses on the phone is how many new states did you or are you planning on registering and because of the laws? And it's always 20 plus. 20 plus beats every single time. And quite often it's more than 35. I mean, it's a lot. So when these businesses, even if you're that manufacturer in the tri-state area, but because you've been shipping product either at a high dollar, maybe you make print machines, you know, I don't know, or you sell a whole lot of supplements. Yeah. Or you sell a whole lot of supplements and you're selling hundreds of, you know, of orders to people Mm -hmm. all the time to Target stores and Walgreens. You can hit that really easily. And that's where, I think that's where the stress is, right? Can we actually do this themselves or are we out of our knowledge? Can my credit manager actually know how to do this and have the time to do this? So it's it's the unfamiliar territory is usually where I start talking about how, and I always throw poor Missouri under the bus along with my my niece, Chloe, but how are you going to know what the resale certificate looks like in Missouri? And I just look right out of my camera and go, I don't, and I do this for a living. So yep. I don't know how you would expect your poor credit manager to know and so I asked them what percentage of your business is exempt. And I t- asked them how many reasons, like what are the different reasons why people would be exempt? And when somebody tells me I have resellers, I have manufacturers, and I have some government entities, I'm like, whoa, dude, you're you're out. Of, I mean, you're out of your capabilities, right? You have to add 21 states and you have three different reasons. There's there's just no way, you know, <laughs> just like I can't imagine. So yeah. I just try to talk about the un- But there is that view. There is that view of like, yeah, it's just, you know, just a piece of paper. And there isn't enough enforcement that's negative enough and hits enough people for them to, unfortunately, the consequence isn't widely felt. And so there people are willing to roll the dice. And I, I hope that I, I mean, I was, I always thought with Wayfair, the exemption certificate was just going to become so much more important because so many people don't even get the right ones because they'll get it for the one state and not five states that they're shipping to. They're like, oh, this is my reseller, a bar, save an example, value reseller. Shipping all these places. They're Don't like, get me started with drop shipping too, right? Don't right? Really get me started and, on drop And they're shipping. like, oh, they're exempt. I'm like, 
that state won't accept that certificate. So you are wrong, actually. Yeah. And then the and then the onus falls back on you. So there's just a whole 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 amount of like lack of understanding of where you need the cert, where the customer's getting the good or the service, and who's selling it. Yeah. No, and I think that I I hope we'll see more of that transparency with taxpayers choosing to do that. And I also think more people are going to get licensed because of the Wayfair rules, right? When they make- And we're seeing that that for sure. I mean, our VDA team, yours probably is too. Our VDA team is super busy with people trying to catch up and get registered and move forward. But one of the other things I hear that I think is sort of unrealistic is, oh, we'll just collect the certificate next time we sell them something. Right. That- is not practical. You're gonna, I just, you're gonna stop the presses at the time of an order when someone wants something. They're urgent. They need it shipped, and you're gonna say, "Wait, I can't sell it to you yep. until you give me a certificate." And they're then not how gonna do gonna, that. <laughs> it, it's just not. Neither one, neither side is gonna do it, right? The salesperson, as you just talked about earlier, is not gonna hold up their sale for a certificate. Then we're gonna go invoice everybody with a taxable invoice because now we know we are registered in that state, and then you're gonna irritate your best customer. So it's just really not a good plan. I I just, I can't see it working when people say that, oh, we'll just collect it next time. Well, we have a client now that didn't get certs at the time for various reasons. Certain numbers changed. They can't get the old one, right? Or they can't validate. We got it, but we can't validate validate it. And it was for a reason. It was for a reseller. So their vendor, so they're the middleman, right? And this was the exact example because we had this conversation this morning. And you thought, Um, we have our client as the middleman. They bought something, you know, and pay tax on it and then ended up reselling it. And, you know, we're doing some mitigation and cleanup and whatnot. So they got, they're like, oh, okay, you've got exemption certificates. I'm going to go back and try to get, you know, I'm now a reseller. I am licensed. I'm now going to try to go recoup the $13,000 of sales tax. I paid my vendor. So she, she's got a current certificate. She can't validate the other one. So now the vendor's like, well, I can't tell if that's a real cert. Right, because I can't validate it because it's old and they expire after three years or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. So wow. now she's like, "Well, it's thirteen thousand dollars." <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I mean, it's real money. That's yeah. that's the thing. I, like you were saying, seventy five percent of your business is resale. Okay, but what if a hundred percent was taxed and because you didn't get a cert on audit? You know, and and I think that's also the challenge in what we do is it's split amongst the states. We have a client now that, you know, has some issues with tax and we look at it like it's really broken out about 14 states. It's not all 46 that have a Mm -hmm. sales tax, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, and the big one's this one versus that one. So Mm -hmm. it's the minutia that gets people like, ah, and my view is always like, you can just fix all of it if you automate and you put process around it. And it's a cheaper than fighting one fight. But yeah. We say that about the certificates too. I have a lot of people that only want to collect the certificates for the states they have nexus in right now. But with all these economic laws, you know, if your business is growing and especially since COVID, there's been a lot of people who have changed their business model substantially. You know, either nature did it to them or they're doing it in an outgoing way, right? So you might as well just start collecting these certificates. If you think your business is growing in this direction, were you going to stop in June and go send an email out to the Ohio customers that you never sold to before? Like that just seems silly, right? We might mm-hmm. as well just do this whole thing. We might as well just... And there's programs like the SST program, which you probably recommend that really help with that, that really can help you save the 
the cost and effort and it not make you feel so exp- I think it's people still think they're exposed if they register. And that's actually a good question, Judy. How do you respond to that when people are, well, we don't want to register for sales tax because it exposes us. How do you right. guys respond? Well, to that? I usually just say they can find you, your website, all these things. If you think you're not looking like you're everywhere, a government auditor can figure it out. So you're, you're really, what you're doing is avoiding having a statute of limitations. And so you haven't filed anything. So you've left yourself exposed. So to me, I would mitigate risk by being filing, you know, do it correctly as best as you can. Never going to get 100%, but you can get close. And then, you know, you've got that. You can just sleep at night. So, yeah, but I, I, yeah, no, there are so many conversations I've had over my 25 years of like, it's really clerical. I'm like, yeah, Chloe shouldn't be doing that because it isn't really clerical. She's she's adorable, (laughs) but I don't think she knows how to do this. Yeah. And And I'm sure she wants a summer job too. If anyone's hiring out there, I'm sure Chloe would love a summer job validating certificates. (laughs) Or like inputting any sort of like transition to, you know, the here's what it says, here's, I'll get it in there. Yeah. One, well, two, yeah. with the automation is it's impossible, even for, you know, practice practitioners, it's impossible to know all the laws in all of the states. And so if you Correct. don't do this on a regular recurring basis, how do you know that, you know, California has a reduced rate for manufacturing? So if you exempt your customer because they're a manufacturing, you've basically just, through your GL, you've just told your GL, don't charge tax on, this customer because they're a manufacturer when really it's just that I don't pay 6%, I pay 2%. Yeah. And so you're kind of, when you override things, you're making assumptions that it's going to be applicable in all states, all cases, and they're not drop shipping somewhere else. And there's no, you know, that automation at least gives you some sort of like connection to the applicable law. The case, yeah. yeah. And that's that's true. Judy always reminds me of that. If you just mark someone exempt in your ERP, that does not solve the problem because of things like that, because of different state laws, because of different states have different expirations. I mean, yeah. it, there's many, exe- many reasons. And they don't exempt everything you buy either. Right. There's so, many reasons like, why absolutely. that is not a good solution. It just happens to be the solution that was available and you know it just and it's the easiest one in the ERP platforms sorry ERP platforms listening out there but you will you'll tell people that oh look you can mark a customer exempt but when you look at it from our side of things it's not a best practice it's not really a recommended practice well Avalara I mean kind of upset the apple cart you know 15 years oh, yeah. ago. I mean none of the other uh, providers were uh, integrating with QuickBooks or Sage or any not of the no, no, basic no, we started that, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you didn't have the option. So it was manual, you know, and right. so now we're not, we're a long way from that. Thank goodness. But there's still that hurdle of understanding and having the right integrations and all that good stuff. So it is an interesting world we're still living in. Everybody, I get asked, do we think we're done with Wayfair? <laughs> that funny? I do too. Right? That's do funny. We didn't even is talk it, about this. Everybody we got registered? Too. Everybody's good? I'm like, are you kidding uh, me? <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, I don't know about your firm, but our VDA team is busier than ever this year. And I'm on a lot of calls with manufacturers and distributors. It's mostly what I do, just like you. It's mostly what I do is I get on this and kind of consult about everything that we're talking about right now. And 
nobody has registered. It's like the manufacturers and distributors missed the message the first time. They didn't read oh, yeah. their email the first it's time. Like, I don't have any taxable yeah. sales. It's like, it's, it doesn't work like yeah. that. It doesn't matter. But for some Correct. reason, and maybe you know, I don't know why this year, I, I don't know why the two-year anniversary, I don't know why it has, it. all of a sudden they figured it out. I have no clue. But it is all I see in manufacturers and distributors is people who did not register yet or did not think the law applied to them. Right. Or they're now adding e-commerce as we talked about earlier because we're all at home. So now they're adding e-commerce either right. for B2C or B2B or the reverse, whichever one they were doing before, they're now doing mm -hmm. the other. Yeah. Um, and I think perhaps that's why they're thinking more of it because people, there is still a belief out there that the laws were for e-commerce sellers when you and I know they weren't, they're for everybody, but I think there's just still that misconception. Well, then I think the marketplace, like people think Shopify is a marketplace. It's a software program. It's not a marketplace, but people think that still. So there is definitely some misconceptions. Plus I wonder if, as you mentioned this, I'm thinking, I wonder if people think marketplace is somebody who sells something. Therefore it needs to apply to me. I have no idea, but it is interesting. It was always like, well, I thought it was taxable sales. I don't have any taxable sales. I'm a resale. I'm like, I, where'd you get that idea? <laughs> Every state yeah. didn't pick the same rule. That's not a, that's not the rule. You know, yeah. I thought it was this. I, you know, it's just nobody looks at the de the details. No. That's the problem. Nobody wants to go. I don't really care that much about Delaware. Or they're like, I mostly am exempt sales. I just don't care. Yeah. yeah. No. There's it's it's a it is a fascinating world that I it's struggle with to try to explain to people the value. Yeah. And I also think for me, my biggest reasons for automation are you have a system of record for that thing. Right. If you rely right. on NetSuite, marketing a customer exempt, you don't have taxability. You don't have rates. It's all manual. You don't have any information that you can gather from a system that is managing your sales taxes. That's important to my mind. It's part of your business process. So that's so true. So true. Well, and as you know, we come to the end of the year, and yay, <laughs> number one. Vaccines um, are being. Is that what that is? 2020, man. It's fine. It's fine. But do you see, you know, as kind of thinking into what may be coming, you know, in 2021, what challenges we might expect moving forward for taxpayers? Are you asking me or are you asking Judy? I'm asking you. <laughs> you. We're asking you. We're asking you, but feel free to, you know, or are we all just thinking about what a great year 2020 was? Like, oh, no. we're all just I distracted. Mean, for tax, as far as, sales tax, just you know, kind of the obvious, maybe it's not so obvious to people, is that states, everybody is short their tax money, right? We're not shopping in the same way we used to. Uh -uh. You know, things just aren't funded. You know, there's just everything has changed. And I live in Washington and we don't have state income tax here. So if you are even remotely turned on the radio, you know that sales tax is how our state gets money to fix our roads and do everything because we don't have state income tax. So so sales tax is a huge focus here. And it was, I don't know if this is current, but as of maybe six months or a year ago, it was 53% mm -hmm. of our state's budget came from sales tax. So we're pretty aware that sales tax is what pays for things. And there's often stories on the news that um, someone wants to pass a bill to tax 
blank, insert, you know, insert product here to generate more revenue. But not all states have that kind of awareness. But I think that what to answer your question, Meredith, is there's going to be so much more of that. Where is a state going to make up the money that they didn't get this year? It's going to be in sales tax revenue. And so that means that things are going to be changed how they tax. We just put out, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Judy, I haven't watched the video yet, but we just put out our 2021 tax changes webinar, which is wildly popular. That's our favorite, everybody's favorite webinar of the year. That and everyone moving to e-commerce and changing their type of business, they're going to have to be way more compliant. And the states are going to increase auditors. Sorry, they're going to increase. I mean, where would you go if it were your business, Judy? You'd hire more salespeople to go collect more revenue, right? They're going to go hire more auditors and they're going to be auditing businesses, especially my guess is, dude, I don't work for the state, but my guess is, especially those that have been wildly successful. I, I tell people all the time, like you do, dude, I can go on your website and see yes. where you're selling. And I'm not an auditor. You know, Chloe can go on your website, poor <laughs> yeah. Chloe. And she can go on the website and just see your success, see where you're selling, see your regions. Like you can see this stuff. It is not rocket science to figure out that you're doing well and you probably owe me a lot of money. It's not rocket science. So well, I think and that- politically, I'd rather get the money from my out from out of state taxpayers yes. than my in-state constituents who are the, who are struggling and you know, we've been in this together. Right. But like I who want elected from you, perhaps, the, right? Who elected you, perhaps? Yeah, the right? forty-nine yeah. other states. Oh that- yeah, non-voters. That's what we want. Well, mm-hmm. I noticed in two thousand seven. You know, I've been doing this twenty-five years, like I said. So I, I remember in 07, 08, 09, and I'm thinking I never see more sales tax audits in my life, and non-resident audits, and Nexus questionnaires, and they're just coming out of the, the- work. After the, um, the recession, the, the Great the home, Depression, whatever. The depression with the yeah. mortgage, the mortgage yeah. meltdown thing. And wow. I thought, oh my gosh, I have such job security, right? Because when things are good, people fix their stuff. And when things are bad, the government comes and finds it. <laughs> You know, but, ladies, we, we are in a pretty good business, I guess. I guess so, taxes, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of ironic. But um, I did but, get yeah. wind for like Colorado, our Department of Revenue spoke to us last week, and he said we weren't looking to increase enforcement here in Colorado, but we're doing the set system. So we got all kinds of crazy stuff going on with our locals, home rules. So, you know, there's still change. And we just decided to tax streaming. So we're taxing streaming, which means Netflix and chills taxable now come next year at the mm-hmm. state level. And that means digital goods, ebooks, all those we had sort of been silent on at the state level and they're going to tax it. So, you know, we're going to, yeah, you we've, and I we've are going to pay more. We've, right? Yes. And we've seen that already in some other states. And that's what the, the 2021 tax changes webinar goes over. We have seen, I get a little bit of it, you know, notifications yeah. of those. And those are things we have to quickly build into the software. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean, yes. where are the states going to get money? So, and, and economic nexus is not going away. Like it's now here. We passed it. It is now here to stay. So I can also see people, Meredith, getting way even more behind people who still are not willing to do it. Like we've been talking about who are just kind of sticking their head in the sand. They're just going to owe more and more and it's going to be a problem. It's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. It's a sad thing to have to eat that tax. I mean, when I tell some of my clients that have to do VDA, so I'm like, well, you did get a hundred percent deduction for the tax you didn't collect from your customers, as opposed to a 50% haircut on a charitable contribution. My fees are deductible. The penalties (laughs) are not. So I'm like, well, you know, I mean, you weren't planning to give the state of Vermont any money, but you are. (laughs) I think one of the things you taught me, and I, I use this a lot, was that your penalties can be double what you owe. 
Oh, I mean, yep. always, yeah, always, always double. And people don't realize that they think a penalty uh -uh. means like 10%, like, oh, I'm going to owe the tax was 10%. And you owe yep. every time I talk to you, you remind me, no, it's what you owe. Just double it. Just, just double it. It's so but depressing, you, really. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you many times that someone said it's like 800 bucks. I'm like 800 blocks just extrapolated over 36 months is $20,800 multiplied by two. We're at 50 something thousand dollars. Voila, there's I your know. $800 I, error. I, I channel my inner Judy. <laughs> yeah, but, but you you're tell right. people like that, then it resonates yeah. with them. That's how you get sales to buy in, right? That's how you get the CEO to buy in, CFO, accounting. Accounting's always buying in because they're always the one, but they're like, gosh, just put something else on my plate, right? But um, I, I just think you're right. You're right. It is upper leadership. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on the phone with the accounting department and they all want to do this. But when it goes up past, you yep. know, to the CEO or COO or the board or the guy watching the numbers, you know, the budget. And they're like, no, Judy, you just go back and keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to invest in this. And you're just, you're floored. And so is the accounting team. It's just yep. floored, right? I see that and they're like, a lot. Oh, I don't get to decide. And I'm like, yeah. interesting though. Interesting that that's a perception. I wonder, you know, for me, I feel like government, like you said, provides roads. It provides a lot of safety nets. Who's going to handle the virus distribution? It sure as heck not me. Um, so like, isn't that sort of a governmental push-pull with a healthcare to make sure that get, you know, like that's not, someone's got to orchestrate those large scale things. And, you know, I just think that is the role of government. And I don't think they're, you know, maybe they're not horribly efficient, but they also have rules and boundaries. So they're not terrible. And they are people, by the way, just like you and me. So they're not, I don't think they mean ill. They're a little no. hamstrung by the process, I would argue. Yes, that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. probably, but... Well, Maria, thank you so much. We are going to end with a few little like fun things and, you know, lifting us back up about how, you know, we're not complying with sales tax and we got to, you know, <laughs> integrate and do all this stuff. So let's see if we can keep these rapid because usually Judy and I aren't very good at that. We have, we talk, right? We're on a podcast. <laughs> so are you ready? Ready. All right. Dark, regular, or white chocolate? Dark. What make... See, <laughs> what wakes you up in the morning? Coffee, tea, or something else? Tea. I'm a How tea girl. Oh. No coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never learned to like coffee. Huh. I didn't drink coffee till I was in my 40s. 41. Never drank really? coffee. Yeah, yeah. I still don't like it. After I had my last kid. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. <sighs> if you could choose a title for a book about your career, what would it be? Ah, uh, it would be on the fence. And I'll tell you why. Because as a career sales and marketing person, I've always been in sales or involved in sales in some way. I don't sell right now, but in some way I've always been in that arena. As if you're a really good salesperson, you live your life on the fence. Half of you has to please, has to talk to that customer and please that customer and find a solution. But the other half of you has to make your business profitable, You know, make the business happy, make sure that that solution works for the business. So you have to, you can't do one or the other, right? You work for both. You work for yeah. your customer and you work for the business that employs you. So it's one of the hard things I think to teach salespeople. It's you, anyway, get to do both. That's, that's awesome. And then what are you reading today and why? I am reading a book 
called The Castle on Sunset, which is about, if you've ever been in Hollywood, I grew up in Southern California. When you go down the 101 freeway into Hollywood, there's this big, gorgeous castle-looking chateau building that kind of looms over the freeway. And this book is about the history of that building, who built it, and what it's been doing there all these years. And ironically, back to hospitality, it started as like a long-term stay hotel, like apartments, are, and it's been through like iterations over the years. And it was also a, um, so kind of my my hospitality interest, plus just growing up in California, but it has a little bit of gossip about, uh, you know, what happened Hollywood there people that would, yeah, the stuff that happened there. So yeah. it's like the Castle Marmont or whatever that is. It's a Castle Marmont. It. That's what it is. That's oh, it exactly is. what it is. Yeah. yeah oh, same okay. thing. Oh yeah. yeah. There's some history yeah. there. Or Chateau. Chateau Marmont. Chateau Marmont. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, people, yeah. people have died there. Yes. <laughs> That's what it's kind of most famous for, but it's just been through a lot of iterations and it's still there. Like no one's but bulldozed it down. You can still uh-huh. go to Hollywood and this big thing just looms right over the freeway. Yeah. It's awesome. a beautiful building though. I love historic buildings too. It's got a lot of cool history. Well, see, now so. you can add it to your quarantine, not going anywhere for the holidays book list. There you go. Oh, I like that kind of stuff. Especially if you, yeah, because it's true. And if you got a little bit of, you know, Hollywood gossip in you that you like seeing like who went there and. Oh, I Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, you know, literary style. (laughs) With a little architecture thrown in. Told from the perspective of the house. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Well, we are no watch while it happens live, but Maria, thank you so much for being here and sharing, you know, your experience and your knowledge. We really appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Saltivation Podcast. I'm Meredith Smith. Until next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.